Well, hi everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see you and uh, lots of new faces, but some familiar and old ones. And I'm just thrilled to, if you've been around the church for the past year or two, I've preached a few times via Zoom, but my goodness, to be here in person in this space, this is a real treat. And as David mentioned, we're close friends, but for me to be able to watch him give his heart and soul to leading this community, to see what God is doing here in West Chelsea, it really is a privilege to be here to celebrate with you on the church's birthday and to be able to thank my friend for his incredible blessing in my life. So really excited to be with you. I'm going to preach today from Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along, but it will also be on the screen. And two reasons why I'm preaching from Acts this morning. The first is you've been in a series in the book of Luke. And if you know uh, anything about the New Testament, you'll know that Luke, who wrote the gospel, also wrote the book of Acts. And so we stay in that theme, we stay in that literature. But more than that, Acts chapter 2, the verses that we're about to read in just a couple of minutes, describe the birthday of the Christian church. They describe the way in which the Christian church started. And we learn something about what the church is always supposed to be like when we see how it was birthed. And so as you celebrate your second birthday as a church family, it's my hope and prayer that this passage would in many ways be prophetic, that it would be guiding you as a church into your future. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and then we'll take a look and see what it says to us this morning. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1, hear now this reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, verse 5, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. That's God's word. That's great. God, thank you so much for this time for us as a church family to look at Acts 2. We do pray now for the power of your spirit to be with us, to bring illumination and transformation. We ask this for your glory and for our good as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we mentioned, this passage describes the birthday or the start of the Christian church. And here in these verses, there are three things that I think you need, that this church needs, if you're going to be the kind of community that brings renewal and healing 
into the community of West Chelsea and the city. And so what I want to do is take a few minutes to show you what you need, why you need it, and how you can get it. And that's what's here in these verses for you and for this church. What you need, why you need it, and how you can get it. So first, what is it that we need? And the answer is we need to be filled with the Spirit. It's amazing that on the birthday of the Christian church, the gift that God gives to his people is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And for a rich Christian life, for a church to be fruitful and effective, what you need, what I need, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so in this first point, I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk a little about the Holy Spirit. Because if you're anything like me, when you first started thinking about Christianity, or maybe some of you to this day, as you hear the term Holy Spirit, or as you think about the Spirit-filled life, that can be a little mysterious and confusing. It might sound like we're talking about the Force from Star Wars, a kind of vague thing out there that you tap into in moments of crisis or desperation. But actually, the Spirit-filled life is the normal Christian life. And this passage tells us a couple of things that we need to learn about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing to see is the Spirit of God comes to his people as God's very own personal presence. You notice in the verses, verse 3 in particular, that when the Spirit of God was poured out into the church, the text says that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Now, Luke, the author, says seems to be. It wasn't that there was actual fire burning in the room. But the force of the Spirit being poured out felt like fire. And that's not an accident. Because throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when the presence of God was revealed, when the presence of God came to people, it always looked and felt like fire. The most famous example of this is Exodus chapter 3. Moses, who was called by God to lead the people out of Egypt, was there before he did that, tending sheep in the wilderness. And one day as he's tending sheep, he looks over and sees across the way a bush that is burning but not being consumed. And Moses is confused, and he makes his way over to the bush, and all of a sudden the bush starts speaking to him. And eventually that bush that's on fire says to Moses, I am who I am. It's the very presence of God communicating to and interacting with Moses. Now, in that instance, when Moses gets close to the fire, when he gets close to God's presence, the fire tells Moses, you need to take off your sandals because the place that you're standing is holy ground. You're in the presence of the infinite and the majestic, and you are exposed in all of your weakness and shame. And so you need to take off your shoes. You need to recognize that you're standing on holy ground. But here now in Acts chapter 2, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the same spirit that was barely approachable in the Old Testament now comes to dwell with and within each of the followers of Jesus Christ. This is the personal presence of God with his people. That's what we learn from the fire. But there's something else we learn about what we need, this filling of the spirit. And that comes down at the end of verse 13. I heard a couple of you chuckle as we read it. But at the end of verse 13, here's what you have. The people who the Spirit of God has just come upon are now with great courage and boldness going out into their city. 
And when the people around them see the church filled with the spirit, as they watch the church's activity, what they say in verse 13 is, well, they've had too much wine. In other words, as the people look at the church filled with the spirit, when they see their behavior, the conclusion that they make is, wow, they look like people who've had too much to drink. Now, what does someone look like when they've had too much to drink? Generally, they have a new kind of freedom, a new kind of joy, a new kind of confidence. They have less inhibitions than they normally do. And so when this crowd of spirit-filled people are now living in their city, what it looks like to outsiders is they're drunk. Now, of course, in just a moment, Peter's going to come along and say that's not the case. But that is a later passage. What's interesting is when the Spirit of God fills his people, it brings a kind of freedom and a power that looks like inhibitions have been removed. And this isn't the only place where the filling of the Spirit is actually compared to and kind of related to this idea of having too much to drink. There's a place in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Really interesting that Paul makes that connection. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, who many of you know was a British pastor in London, uh, this was about 70 years ago, he was a medical physician before he became a pastor. And when he was looking at passages like these, he said, you know, this is really interesting. Because when alcohol gets into your system, the impact that it has is like that of a depressant. So the reason why people, when they are filled with alcohol, have more joy and confidence is because their senses are depressed. They become less aware of reality and therefore feeling more freedom. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you know, when the spirit of God comes into your life, what happens is you also are filled with a new kind of joy and confidence but not because your senses are lessened, but they're actually heightened. The spirit brings a new kind of freedom and boldness and joy by giving you the ability to see more, a heightened awareness of reality. One of my favorite examples of this is all the way back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings. Some of you know the story. But in 2 Kings, there was a prophet named Elisha, and he was with the people of Israel in a valley camping. And one night, without their knowing, an enemy army came and surrounded the camp of Israel. And the next morning, the servant of Elisha goes outside, and he's waking up, and he's stretching, and he looks around, rubs the sleep out of his eyes, and he sees on the mountains all around them that they are surrounded by an enemy army. And at that moment, he is filled with fear. He's filled with a sense of doom. So he runs back into the tent, he finds Elisha, and he says, alas, my master, how shall we do? Which is, to be paraphrased, we're in real trouble. And Elisha goes outside, and he sees the enemy army surrounding them. And then he looks at the servant, and he says, don't be afraid, because those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And you could almost see the servant saying, no, I've done the math, we're outnumbered. But Elisha then prays, and he says to God, God, open his eyes so that he might see. And in that moment, God answers that prayer, and he opens the eyes of the servant, and he sees on those same mountains more chariots, but these are now chariots of fire. This is the army of God that's present to save and to defend his people. 
But here's the point. This is the key for the story. When Elisha realizes, when he sees that they're surrounded, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're right. This is looking really bad. We need to pray for God to send help. All he says is, God, open our eyes to see the help that's already here. And in that moment, as his eyes are open and he sees the help that is there, there's a freedom and there's a courage and a confidence that comes into the camp of Israel and they're saved by it. That's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit brings more freedom, more joy by making you more aware of spiritual realities. That's what the Spirit of God does. And that's why we need the Spirit. That leads us now to point two, not just who the Holy Spirit is or what we need, but secondly, why we need the power of the Spirit. And I'll be brief here, but this is in many ways the, the real burden of my sermon for you as you celebrate your church's birthday. We need the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known in our city. You as a church need to be filled with the Spirit to make Jesus known in Chelsea and in all the parts of the city that you live and work and play in. It's amazing to me that on the very day that God pours out his spirit upon the church, the result or the impact of that pouring out is the church has this remarkable power and freedom to make Jesus known. Let me show you how that works in the text. Verse 4, the spirit is poured out. It says, all of them were filled with the spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. Now, there's lots of questions in the Christian church about the gift of tongues and what does that all mean? But actually, this passage is really clear. There's not much mystery. Because when the Spirit of God is poured out, they're speaking with other tongues. You say, well, what's that about? The rest of the passage tells us. This is a time in which Jerusalem was filled with people. Think New Year's Eve in Times Square. Jerusalem was packed the gills with people. And people came from all over the world to celebrate a great festival. So you had people from all the different places that are mentioned in these verses. And they all spoke different languages. They all had different ways of communicating. And when the Spirit of God is poured out, the church, the Christians, begin communicating the wonders of God. They're sharing the gospel. They're talking about God and Jesus. And the people who have come to the city, the people who are from all over, start to hear the wonders of God being spoken in languages that they could understand. This was a miracle in which God enabled people to speak in languages that they had never learned. But the languages of the people who were present in the city on that day, to be really simple, I don't know German, but it would be like me speaking German so that someone who spoke German could understand what I'm saying. That's what's happening in these verses. Now, what's the point? When the Spirit of God came down, it equipped a church to translate the message of the gospel into a language that the peoples around them could understand. And that's what we need the Spirit of God to be and to do as a church in Chelsea today. We need to have the Spirit of God help us to communicate the truth about Jesus in ways and through stories and with images that the people around you can understand. Laman Sane, who's a scholar from Gambia, says this work of translation has always been part of the church. 
from day one, from the moment the Spirit of God was poured out, it was through translation that the message of the gospel went forward. He says this, without translation, there would be no Christianity or Christians. Translation is the church's birthmark as well as its missionary benchmark. Just hear that. I'm going to read that again. And on your birthday as a church, let that sink in. Translation is the church's birthmark as well as your missionary benchmark. The church would be unrecognizable and unsustainable without it. Now, in a city like New York, most people speak English. Not all, but most. So what does translation mean for a church like ours? It means recognizing that so much about the Christian faith, as we communicate it with others, needs to be presented in ways that modern, secular, irreligious people can understand. It means communicating the truth of the gospel in ways that make sense to your colleagues and to your neighbors and to the people at your kids' schools. To be given an example, let's say someone at your work says, why are you a Christian? One answer that you could give, you could say something like, well, God elected me for salvation, and I believe in the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God, whose blood atones for my sin. Now, that's true. There's nothing about that answer that's inaccurate. It's just not translated. It doesn't make sense to somebody that you're talking to. But if that same person says to you, why are you a Christian? And you say something like, well, all of my life, I've been trying to find meaning and acceptance and feeling like I belong. But in Jesus, I found someone, or better yet, someone found me, who sees me to the bottom and yet loves me to the sky. And finally, I'm starting to have peace. That colleague might say, that's interesting. I'm looking for that too. Can we talk more? The same truths in each of those sentences, but one is translated. And what the Spirit of God does is he comes into our life to give us freedom and boldness and confidence to translate, not change, but translate the message of the gospel in ways that make sense to the people around us. And if you're looking for a resource that's really helpful in this act of translation for our current moment, can I just recommend a book by Becky Pipper called Stay Salt? If you're looking for one of the best resources on how to translate the gospel message for our world today, her book is as good as it gets. Stay Salt by Becky Pippin. But, and to conclude, the last question I want to ask is, how do we get this? We need the filling of the Spirit to make Jesus known in ways that people around us can understand. How do we get it? And the answer is, through the greatest act of translation the world has ever known, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, we're told that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Think about that for a second. The Word made flesh. You and I could have never learned God's language. We could have never spoke to God or actually under, understood his speaking to us unless God found a way to translate down to our level, unless God found a way to communicate his glory and his grace in a way that we can comprehend. And he did that in the person of Jesus. Jesus took on flesh, and he came and made his dwelling among us. 
Jesus is grace and truth. Grace, you're sinful. You are separated from God. Truth, your love to the sky. Jesus is grace and truth in human form that we can understand, that we can relate to. And what the Spirit of God does is he comes into your life, and he takes truth about Jesus, and he lights it up. The Spirit of God is like a floodlight. A floodlight, as you know, is a very bright light that you don't look directly at. You look at what it's illuminating. And the Spirit of God comes into our world to light up Jesus, to take the truth about what Jesus has done, the truth about who Jesus is, and to make it real and beautiful to your heart. Many of you identify as Christians. Many of you would say, I go to church, or this is my faith community, but the truth of Jesus isn't illuminated in your life. It's not palpable. It's not a force that gets you energized and filled with confidence as you go out into the city. That's where we need the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God takes the truth we know in our heads, and it makes it electric in our hearts. One pastor used to tell the story of one day walking down the street and seeing a little boy with his dad. And as the little boy and dad were walking down the street holding hands, all of a sudden, the dad bends down, picks up his son, gives him lots of kisses, and says, I love you, I love you, and he tickles him, and the boy is laughing and having the best time, and then the father puts him back down and they keep walking. And the pastor watching that incident unfold says, that's what the Spirit of God does in your life. You're already a Christian. You're already a son or a daughter of God. But the Spirit takes truth that you know objectively, and it makes it felt experientially. The Spirit takes truth that you know about Jesus, and it lights it up in your heart, such that you feel yourself to be a son or daughter of God. And when you feel yourself to be God's child, when you see God's act of translation in Jesus, that gives you the joy and the confidence you need to go out and serve your city, to make Jesus known in ways and through forces and images and stories that people around you can understand. So my prayer for you is that we, you, would be a church filled with the Spirit to make Jesus known as you experience the love of Jesus more palpably in your own heart. Let's pray for that to happen our God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had as a church, as a community, to consider Acts 2, the pouring out of the Spirit on the birthday of the Christian church. But Lord, I pray now that you would do that in this place today, that you would pour out your Spirit, that you would equip Storefront Church to be a place that makes Jesus known in Chelsea and in the city and in our world, that you would help us to do that in ways and through images and with stories that, that make sense and that land with power in the people that we speak to. But Lord, most of all, even as we've heard from Connie a few minutes ago, lots of us are carrying pain today. Lots of us are hurting. And so may your spirit bring joy and freedom and confidence and healing as we experience Jesus's love for us afresh. Jesus, the world's greatest act of translation made your grace real to us. May we experience him now we pray. In Jesus' name.